Come on in. Come on in. <laughs> Come on in. Welcome, welcome. The slow road to better. Why do we do the slow road to better? Well, we've been lucky where we can talk about it to our our friends, people here at the Stroke Comeback Center, but now then we can tell more people across the world to learn about it. What is the it that we're talking about? Aphasia. Stroke yeah. survivors. TBI people. Life moves on. Inspiration help listeners. That our inspiration of a bridge of hope. I love it. Trying to help each other a lifeline. Part of it also is we started doing it. It's not because not because we just wanted to tell everyone to see what happened to us, but also we wanted to get better talking ourselves oh, with the phaser, sure. and we wanted to one day. It's not gonna phaser is not leaving it, but we'd like to crush it a little bit. Let's listen and listen in. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Wonderful. Good. Good. All right. So today we have a very special guest with us. I actually had to write it all down because <laughs> his bio is kind of so long. I guess. <laughs> outstanding. With much anticipation, we are so excited to welcome Dr. Peter Turkeltalb. Did I say Close. Right? You're close. Peter Turkeltalb. There it is. Good. Oh, look at you. You just have to pretend like it hurts at the end. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. All right. Uh, Is it okay if we call you Peter? Yes. Okay. Good. I don't know how many times I can say Turkle Yeah, exactly. All right. Peter is director of the aphasia clinic at MedStar National Rehab Hospital. Yes. Medical director for the Center for Aphasia Research and Rehabilitation at Georgetown University Medical Center. Nice. And assistant professor of the Department of Neurology and Rehabilitation Medicine at Georgetown. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Although like it's actually it's associate professor now. Oh, associate professor. So you have that in a card, like all that? <laughs> no? It's, it's about 12 lines at the end of my emails. I, I honestly, I, every yeah. time I send an email, I look at it and I think, I should trim this down. But <laughs> it looks nice, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, the problem is, like, there's a constituency that would be offended if I didn't mention them at mm-hmm. the end of the Ever. email. Yeah. <laughs> and I really think I left something mm-hmm. off. I feel like oh, was, oh, no. the cognitive, the cognitive. Mm-hmm. Oh, my lab, yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, didn't wanna, lab, I don't want to, yeah. you know, okay. cheat out the, the lab. Right. Oh, I should have worn my other hat today. Oh, you have a you have one of our hats? I do. I, I have two of them, actually. Do you wear it? Oh, oh, do you? Awesome. It. That's great. I, I feel like the only people who wear it are me and, and yeah. I have a friend who's a graphic <laughs> designer who loves our logo because she considers it sort of like outsider art. And really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> So, Peter, this is how this goes. I pretty much do the introduction, and then I get out of the way. And the group has questions. I uh, do some interpreting when there are gestures or things that the listeners can't hear. But other than that, I'm going to turn it over to them. And I really, really cannot tell you how much we appreciate you taking time out of your very, very busy schedule to come be 
here with us today on a random Tuesday at 10 o'clock. <laughs> so thank you so much. Of course. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to the group. What's the cause studying aphasia? What's your path? Ah, okay, sure. Well, so I started um, as an electrical engineering student awesome. at GW, actually, in D.C., and I got interested in medical imaging, um, so I did some research when I was there on um, nuclear imaging of the heart. And at that time, uh, functional MRI was just invented, and I heard about it and got really excited. And so I had decided to switch from being an engineer to a doctor and was thinking about maybe doing research as well. So I ended up at Georgetown because it was the only MD-PhD program I got into. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's fate. And, um, and um, the people who were doing research there on fMRI were mostly interested in language. And yeah. so I did a rotation with Rhonda Friedman, who studies uh, aphasia and alexia, reading problems. And then I did my PhD with Guinevere Eden, um, who studies um, dyslexia in kids. And so I did my whole PhD on how kids learn to read using brain imaging. And then I got to the clinic f to finish my medical school, and I did not like working with sick kids. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there were lots of reasons that I don't need to go into. So anyway, so I decided to be an adult neurologist. And so once I became an adult neurologist, it didn't really make a lot of sense to keep doing research on how kids learn to read. And so I looked around and I saw this huge problem, um, aphasia, that there's not great treatment for. There's a lot of people with it. Um, mm -hmm. It causes a lot of suffering. Uh, and that seemed like a good problem to tackle that sort of made, made use of my prior um, knowledge, um, but allowed me to do something new that was more related to what I was doing now. And so I, then I did a fellowship which is like specialty training. This was at University of Pennsylvania um, to learn about aphasia and brain stimulation. And then I came back to Georgetown to start the lab. So that's the path. Can hmm. I ask a good question? Mm -hmm. Of course. All the MRIs yeah. for clinical trials yeah. that I've done uh -huh. from your clinical trials. Yeah. I have been on multiple MRIs there. Yeah. Do you notice anything different about my brain in terms of yeah. the number of MRIs. Yeah. yeah. Ah, so do they change? Is the question yeah. do they change for they people with chronic aphasia? Yeah. Nice. So that is a great question. So it's it's a question that we haven't um, uh, answered completely yet. Uh, when we look at the MRIs, uh, if if we have you come in say six months after your stroke and then we have you come back a year later we see some changes and it's nothing uh, bad it's rare that there's a new stroke or anything if there were we would tell you um, but there are changes that occur you know even months after after the stroke in the brain that just have to do with the brain dealing with all the tissue that's that's been damaged in the brain um, when we look at the kinds of advanced scans that we're doing like the functional MRI that looks at brain activity um, we have not done a systematic study to look to see whether that changes over time and uh, sort of in the chronic period. Mm -hmm. There's one group that has and showed that um, the anatomy of the right hemisphere changes a little bit 
in, uh, in the chronic period, so even a year or more after the stroke, and that those changes relate to changes in your speech and language um, ability. So we, uh, we've been starting to look to see whether we have enough people like you that we've scanned over time now to, to ask that question also. Uh, but we haven't done it systematically yet. Wow. So you have obviously strokes, but TBI is totally different. Do you study that or just strokes? It's about 99% stroke, what we do. And the reason is that um, the part of the goal of our research is to understand brain plasticity, so how the brain changes after an injury. And stroke is, um, frank, is a neater way to do that. For the listener, you should see Ashley. She is, like, giddy over here. She's like giggling. She's rocking back and exactly. forth in her chair. I love research. It's <laughs> so systematic. <laughs> and a skull. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. I love that. I, I'm, I, I guess, me personally, I'm a... Uh, kind of a confused person most of the time <laughs> but That's awesome. I don't understand like I thought a stroke you said like 90% is when the stroke people are looking at when we for our research almost all of our research, research is, is people with stroke but I think a TBI is a lot well so TBI uh, in terms of how common it is is that what you were well sorry I didn't mean to interrupt go ahead no nah. 20, 25 years ago, that's when they they started. Oh, what a TBI! What is a TBI? They had no idea to really start um, research. Yeah. Yeah. But how long has they been doing that for strokes? Uh, know what it was? It's probably about the same. Um, I think. So the really the kind of brain research that we do uh, started all around the same time in the 90s. Um, really? And it started more with stroke and then uh, a little bit of TBI later. And, and the reason TBI is harder to study in the brain is, is that it's much harder to see where the injury is in TBI. In stroke, we can just, we get an MRI or a CAT scan and we look at it and we can say, okay, that's where the stroke was. And, uh, you know, we know exactly when it occurred, of course, yeah. um, and so it makes it easier to study. With, with TBI, I, I may do a scan of your brain, and, and maybe we'll see some spots that are damaged, but there's other spots that are injured, but we can't see them using most of our scans. And so... Um, so is in that the because they're deeper, or...? It's because the kind of damage is different. So a lot of the damage in, in TBI has to do with um, tearing of the connections, and that doesn't cause a reliable signal in in most MRI scans. We have some special scans now um, where we can uh, trace pathways in the brain, and those show it a little bit better. Really? Yeah. Because I got, I'm one of those that I had pretty much like a stroke. It was that fast. <laughs> right. And they knew that, you know, I was, I really got messed up. But you had all these guys that had a, uh, IED or something like a, oh, the Humvee and would explode and they wouldn't know till like later or yeah. a year later or they didn't understand that their brain was one that was just shaking yeah. you know so yeah the whole thing well I think it was really the uh, at least my, my impression is it was really the Iraq war that brought uh, TBI um, to the forefront and then you know the issues with the NFL also uh, oh, and yeah the identification of chronic traumatic encephalopathy 
you know, is, is that's a separate issue, but it brought more attention to TBI and, and minor TBI, the kind where you're not really sure whether there was uh, injury or not, and it's sort of hard to test that. Um, and yeah. so there's a lot more research now on those on those problems. That's good. They needed yeah. you. <laughs> but in our lab, unfortunately, just because of the um, funding works for research, we need to focus um, and we can't spread ourselves too thinly or we won't get NIH grants. Yeah. yeah. And so we decided to focus on, um, on Spoke. And just for uh, a plug for Mackenzie, who had come in to the podcast, am I saying that correctly? She is now officially Dr. Mac. Mm-hmm. And so nice. she yeah. has That's worked awesome. in Peter's lab. And um, I do have a question, even though I said I wasn't going to ask Aww. <laughs> But you had talked about yeah. sort of these pathways. And one of the questions that I have is when I was in grad school, you know, and even now the textbooks still say aphasia is a language disorder, does not impact people's cognitive skills. What I find is that a lot of the survivors say, well, I'm not sure that's true because I'm pretty sure my thinking skills are not the same. Mm -hmm. And so I would like to hear your opinion on that, if you have an opinion. Hmm. Well, I think of this as just an issue of definition. So um, aphasia is, by definition, what it is, is a problem with language. Um, And so just that definition does not include cognitive problems. But people who have aphasia have a stroke or a TBI or a brain tumor or something else that doesn't care about whether language (laughs) is cognition or (laughs) cognition is language. And so the stroke or the tumor or the brain injury um, will cause, you know, damage in whatever system it hits. And there are networks that are involved in cognitive functions that are either very close or are completely overlapping with the brain networks that are involved in language. And Uh, So I think it's the case that by definition, aphasia doesn't include cognitive problems, but I think that many, maybe maybe even most people with aphasia do have some problems with with thinking more broadly. Mm -hmm. There's also, you mentioned Mackenzie, so, you know, Mackenzie's work and some of the other work in our lab is about uh, inner speech, um, so the, the language inside your brain. And we study that because uh, so many of uh, you guys have said to us that there's a big difference between what you hear in your brains and what comes out of your mouth. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right, of course. And so we've been interested to try to figure out what that difference is and and whether it's important. So the reason I bring it up now is just that um, there are people who think that some of the ways that you think through problems involve your inner speech. And so to the degree that aphasia may affect your inner speech also, it could make it harder to reason through complicated tasks or problems if you can't take full advantage of of the uh, inner speech that you did uh, before the injury. Hmm. Hmm. I have a question. Uh, It's the uh, neuroplasty. Your research shows that uh, it's... uh, damaged it's another brain what's the percentage on that it's based on um, data so you're asking um, 
how much of yes the how much change yeah how yeah. much change that is a big yeah that's a big area of debate right now actually um, so we don't that's so it's a great question we don't have um, I can't give you a percentage right now yeah um, I'm really hoping the next study that we're doing which we're starting in the fall I'm really hoping we can make some headway on on this sort of question so that study is going to be it's a five-year project funded by uh, NIH it's something close to four million dollars for this Oops. project and it it's all um, very detailed brain imaging. We're getting a new scanner upgrade at Georgetown. We've been waiting for that to happen so we can get the best pictures possible of, of your brains. And then, um, and then we'll do a lot of testing on language and cognition and, and other things. And the purpose will be to understand um, why some people do really well after their stroke, why other people don't do as well after their stroke. Yeah. Um, and my hope is that it'll help us understand really two things. Uh, one is what the stroke itself uh, accounts for in how you end up afterwards, right? So you might be worse off because you had a really big stroke, or you might be worse off because the stroke hit a particularly important uh, part of your brain. Or you might be um, better off because your stroke was small or it missed really important parts of your brain. Okay, so there's that part, which I think we can figure out uh, with sort of fancy statistics in these brain images. But then the really exciting part is what the rest of the brain uh, tells us about how you're doing. And, um, and our goal is to be able to, to quantify how much of how you end up after your stroke is related to the stroke itself and how much we can account for with the rest of the brain and what it's doing. So that now, that part is not really plasticity yet, because that just tells us about individual differences. So, you know, maybe something about your brain before the stroke made you more resilient um, to, the, um, to the stroke. And so then we have a set of, um, of ways that we'll be able to look specifically to try to figure out what part of it is plasticity and what part is just differences between people before the stroke. And I think, unfortunately, it, I think it'll probably take another grant after that to really prove uh, which part is plasticity by looking at people over time. So the short answer is that we don't know right now. Um, from, from my standpoint, from a biology standpoint, um, there's early changes that happen after a stroke that just have to do with swelling and other you know, biological events in the brain. And then that, you know, that stops after a few weeks or maybe a month after the stroke in most people. And then everything after that, all the recovery after that, has to be in one way or another brain plasticity. Uh, and so if you think of it that way, that can sort of give you a ballpark. If you compare where you were, you know, say a month or to be conservative, say two months after the stroke to where you are now, I think all the rest of the change after that early period has to be brain plasticity. So is this new machine not out yet? Yeah, it's being installed. So what it is is there um, the the MRI machine is uh, first and foremost a giant electromagnet, and you know they have to use like liquid helium to cool it and all these things to keep the electricity flowing in it. So that's the core of it. It's just a donut that's a giant electromagnet. Yep. Right. And so that part is the part that's staying. Everything else about the scanner, they're pulling out and putting new, more modern machinery in it. And that's happening in September. A little noisy. 
It's still, it's still going to be noisy. <laughs> <laughs> it's still going to be noisy. So, and that stupid thing that you have to wear on your head, already. I think is actually going to get even a little one. smaller. Really? <laughs> Around well, here. I, I'm hoping it's just designed okay. better so it'll be more comfortable. But it's that one you got to hold it over here. Uh, this one you can keep. <laughs> you your look like you're at a in the airport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you look and like you're going to the metal that. detector. I know you don't do MRI, but I mean, but this is this a new TBI also or no? Um. In certain circumstances, we do people with uh, with TBI. Um, okay. So depending on what the question is. So for instance, um, we did a case study with a guy a few years ago who had a problem reading because of, of TBI, and we gave him an electrical brain stimulation treatment. Ooh. And the reason that we did that was because for the purpose of that study, it didn't matter what the cause of the reading problem right. was. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so for those sorts of studies, we can do it. Just wondering. My skull was partial, partially mm -hmm. cut out, frozen, mm -hmm. and then they replaced it like two months later. Mm -hmm. And it's still, at times, it's sore. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? And I don't know if it's because of my skull or it's me. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good question or... Yeah. That's a good question for a neurosurgeon. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have a I don't have a great answer to that, except to say that um, you know whenever there's an injury or a surgery, you can have some scar tissue form, and there may be you know a little nerve that's you know that's yeah. irritated by the scar tissue. Yeah. yeah, there's times when I'll you know feel around to see what it feels like, and yeah. I swear to it, it has definitely changed. Yeah, in oh. terms of it's gotten stronger or harder. So. Yep. The sensation? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Hey, Peter, can you talk a little bit more about the brain stimulation and sort of maybe the future of therapy for aphasia? Sure. So um, about half of our research um, over the past several years has been uh, using this brain stimulation technique called uh, transcranial direct current stimulation, which is a fancy way of saying that we um, do, uh, that we put electrodes on your head and run just a very very small amount of electrical current through your brain while we do speech therapy, and the hope is that if we can deliver stimulation to the right part of of the brain, we can make those cells fire a little bit more while we're doing therapy, and that could have two effects. One is accelerating learning during therapy so you could learn more in the same period of time and the second a bigger effect that we really hope for is that we can uh, coax the brain to rewire in a more beneficial way so that even apart from what you're specifically learning in therapy the brain will just be organized in a more efficient way after the stimulation uh, so that uh, overall speech and language improve so that's the hope now, um, the, we have to do clinical trials to test whether this is the case. And uh, this technique, uh, TDCS is the, is the abbreviation for it, we don't have a great understanding of exactly how it affects the brain. And so one of our specific goals has been to do our, our fancy MRIs before and after treatment also, so that even if 
the clinical trial doesn't help people, we'll learn a little bit more about how the technique works and maybe improve the next study. So we've done three studies like this so far. Um, one that's completed, and we had a positive effect, but we didn't achieve statistical significance. Um, and that was just one week of treatment, and we followed people for three months. And even at three months, we found uh, a small effect on word finding. Um, and we found actually a bigger effect on, um, on writing. Um, that was not an effect that we predicted, and so just from a scientific standpoint, we can't say too much about it, but, uh, but it was bigger than the other effect. And um, then we have two projects that are still going on, one where we design the electrical stimulation for each individual person based on our best guess of what's going to work for them. Um, and that study is a collaboration between us and a company that makes the devices and University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. And we are finishing that study, uh, I think, so we are supposed to enroll 29 people, and I think we have scheduled out to 28 now, and we're hoping to get the 29th by the end of the summer. And I tried to get you number 29 for our listener <coughs> who so hears sad. a bunch of huffing and puffing. Kim really wanted to sign up, yeah, but she can't because of the it's a uh coil right there. Know. She's she got aneurysm clips, uh, so uh, she can't do the MRI. And so, anytime you hear huffing and puffing, anytime uh, it comes sorry. after the word MRI, it's Kim. Yeah, <laughs> I wish you could. <laughs> we got to get you into something. Oh my Chris. gosh, absolutely. Just yeah. make up something. We'll find Just it. Don't do something for we him. Can find it. We can find it. Next <laughs> I don't think I can. <laughs> I don't think I can do it. Because? Because I have shrapnel in my skull. That's yeah. probably, yeah, yeah no. That would be a no. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks, though. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so this is just one technique that, um, that I'm hoping will improve um, aphasia treatment over time. We're still learning about, you know, how big the effect might be, how, you know, the best way to use this kind of, uh, of treatment. But there's all kinds of other um, brain stimulation treatments out there that I think in the long run may end up being more effective. Um, but we need to, you know, unfortunately, research is a slow process, and we need to take one step at a time and learn what we can and then apply that in new studies. Uh, how, 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 how is a slow process, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how is that different from uh, EEG? Yeah. I've done that before. Sure. You put it in, and you put all this, uh, what's the word, stuff all over your head, mm -hmm. and then... But then you, it was set there for five minutes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually sort of the opposite of EEG. So EEG, okay. you put the electrodes on, yeah. on the head, and you record the activity of the brain. And here you put the, basically the same kind of electrodes on, but now you're putting current through the electrodes into the brain. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's a good idea. Do you see that as something that, one, if it shows to be effective... Do you see that as something that could move into a home practice? Oh, yes. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so uh, one thing that's very attractive about TDCS is that it's very, very safe. Um, so we did a, a review of all the studies that have used TDCS, not just for aphasia, but for all kinds of things. People are trying it for depression and migraine, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we use it just to ask questions about how the brain works. Um, so... There are literally thousands of studies that have used TDCS, and we reviewed them and found that there had never been a really significant 
adverse event. So, uh, you know, nothing really bad happened uh, in any of these studies. That's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so awesome. that, that I think, suggests that it would be safe to do just at home, um, you know, maybe under sort of loose supervision of a clinician where the clinician says, here's, here's where we need you to put the electrodes. Here's what we want you to do while you're receiving the stimulation, but you can do it on your own. Um, and in fact, I, I will say that these devices, although I don't encourage anyone to do it at home, but these sort of devices are, you know, uh, you can buy them on Amazon. Oh, everything exists on yeah. Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what people use it for? Gaming. It's mostly video game. Oh, really? Like, yeah, like college kids who really want to be good at, amazing. I don't even know the names of the video games now, but, you know. <laughs> Call of Duty. Wow. Call of Duty, there it is, yeah. Huh. And, yeah, and so they do this to themselves while they play Call of Duty all day. Yeah. Really? Oh. Yeah. Go figure. Is that to keep them awake? or? They think, um, so there actually are some studies uh, funded by the military um, uh, using this technique, for instance, <laughs> like during sniper face. training and things like that, and they do show some uh, improvement in really? yeah, focus. performance. Yeah, yeah. focus. Yeah. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much for awesome. joining us. Um, we really, really do appreciate it. If there are any listeners who have questions, you can put them on our Facebook page and we will respond to you. Thank you, Peter, for your time. Turkle Taub. Oh, there it is. Good. I'm going to get this I right. I you thinking through that. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to practice what I preach. Good. That's what I'm going to get it right. That's what happens with aphasia. That's right. Exactly. Right word. If I keep <laughs> that's right. Slow down. Some days I think it's contagious. So, yeah. All right. So with that, we are going to wrap it up on this episode of The Slow Road to Better. All right. <laughs> Our lawyers made us say this. Disclaimer. What about disclaimers? Your opinion, the group opinion, is not valid. Well, it is, but it's valid, valid. But I'm having a disclaimer so that we don't get in trouble. Yes. Doctors. Doctors. Who's doctor? Um, they. They. Their doctor. Yes. All right. Yes. So, if people hear something on this podcast, you should ask your doctor. Amen.